Welcome to the Eskenazi Health Here For You podcast, where we go beyond the doctor's office to take a closer look at the programs that Eskenazi Health has to offer our patients and the communities we serve. My name is Brian Van Bocklin with the Eskenazi Health Public Affairs Team, and today we are here to discuss uh, the DIP-IN program. Uh, DIP-IN stands for Diabetes Impact Project Indianapolis Neighborhoods. Uh, so we have Ted Grain, the Director of Social Determinants of Health, and Alicia Jessup, uh, Nursing Clinical Care Manager here. Thank you both for joining us today. Ted, you are an old pro at this, so you're going to go second. <laughs> Alicia, welcome. Uh, just the, the hopefully the easiest question of the day is a little bit about yourself, how long you've been with Eskenazi, and what all your role entails. Hello, everyone. I am Alicia Jessup. I am a nursing clinical care manager for primary care uh, Eskenazi. I've been here a little over 10 and a half years, and I currently lead the scope of work for nurses as well as the community health worker programs, which includes Diabetes Impact Project. Fantastic. And Ted, now uh, remind everyone of uh, who you are and the wonderful work you've been doing with us so far. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Ted Grain, and I'm the Social Determinants of Health Director for Eskenazi Health, and I'm also the Vice President of Social Determinants of Health for the Eskenazi Health Foundation. And so, as we mentioned earlier, we're here to talk about the DIP-IN program, which stands for Diabetes Impact Project Indianapolis Neighborhood. So, Ted, can you give us a little overview um, of the program and what, what it's for and how it, how it got started? Ultimately, the goal of the program is to address the the prevalence of diabetes in in our city, and specifically in three different neighborhoods that were chosen. The reason this is important is because diabetes affects uh, not only individuals, but families and our whole community. So uh, the Diabetes Impact Project uh, really emerged as a partnership with Lilly Global Health, LISC, Local Initiative Support Corporation, which is a local community development um, organization, and then Eskenazi Health. I think the most important partnership, though, was with the neighborhoods. So there are three neighborhoods involved, and we're going to talk about each one later. But the idea that we could take a comprehensive place-based approach to addressing diabetes, both with neighborhood organizations, the community residents, and community health workers, is really what DIPIN is all about. I will say when I was uh, kind of doing a little looking around for some background on the program yesterday. I did, I found uh, some of the pages with uh, Lily in the Fairbanks school, and I found a video of young Ted talking about this program. <laughs> and I was wondering, hey, there's young Ted. <laughs> you yeah, look yeah. fantastic. You and, look wonderful. And I forgot to mention <laughs> that this whole program is led by the Fairbanks School of Public yeah. Health. So this was an, is an effort to, they are the kind of lead uh, project uh, leaders for this effort. So it was started, what, uh, about five years ago with that $7 million grant. And then I saw in 2021, it was then re-upped by Eli Lilly and company in Fairbanks. Are there more people as a part of it now from five years ago? Or how has it changed in the re-up of the grant? Well, it extended the years we were able to uh, continue the program. So we we actually got an extension. So at first it was originally five years. Now we have eight years. Uh, to still, so we'll be still uh, working on this program throughout 2025, um, but we still have six community health workers that are working on uh, this actual program and project. Gotcha. And Alicia, what is your role? Uh, how do you play this? Because you have the oversight of the community health workers. So how do the community health workers at Eskenazi Health 
uh, interact with the Dip In project? So they currently, so I actually am the program manager for the Dip In program, and those six community health workers actually serve near west the Northwest and the Northeast neighborhoods. So we have uh, health centers in each of those areas. And those community health workers work with patients who are diabetics, who have uncontrolled diabetes um, and are needing help with their self-management goals to help lower their A1Cs. Um, and they actually go into the homes. They work with them. They work with the providers. So they're like that in-between um, uh I would say layperson that goes and see what's going on in their home and then see how that's impacting their health and see what they can do uh, to fix it. A lot of our patients sometimes have food insecurity, so they don't have access to healthy food. So our community health workers are looking at that, seeing what are the barriers, if they have access or lack of transportation and they need help getting transportation to the appointments. They're making sure that they're, they have adequate transportation to be able to get to the doctor's office sometimes. Um, they need uh, help with assistance with getting their medication, so we're looking for resources for that. So really working with them one-on-one, we're not necessarily just always meeting them in the clinic. We're actually going and meeting them where they're at. So we're going to their homes and, and say, how can we assist you? We're here for you. What can we do uh, to help you? Is there kind of one issue that kind of stands out among everyone that – is kind of like that that's the big problem that kind of if we can fix that a lot of other things will go away food insecurity, food insecurity. so a lot of them you know they do which we've as Kanazi have put some good things into place uh to help that but a lot of times they do not they they'll go to our local food pantries and sometimes they don't have fresh produce or you know things they have things that are longer shelf life where are actually higher in carbs so they're eating you know whatever they can get but it's not always healthy um and so Eskenazi has put some things uh into place too that we're able to offer resources now are fresh for you fresh for you yes uh, so we now actually have resources to even help with that. But a lot of times food insecurity is one of the main things that we have to tackle. And some don't even know how to fill out even our SNAP um, applications to be able to get government assistance. And not necessarily, you know, they know what to shop, but we also help them like, well, these are healthier options. Have you seen the dietitian? Uh, if you haven't seen the dietitian within a year, let us get you connected to that dietitian so they can tell you what other choices you should be eating. So really just figuring out why the patient is uncontrolled and then putting together a plan and even with our working with our clinical team to say, hey, this is what we're seeing that's going on. Can we try this? You know, they're not clinical, but they work closely with the clinical team and even the clinical gives direction. Hey, can you go in the home and look at, um, you know, let us know, have they refilled their medications? Are the bottles still full? You know, sometimes our patients will say, you know, hey, I've been taking my medication and then we go back and the bottles are still full for three months ago. So it really, and we say, okay, well, what's going on? And sometimes the meds make them sick, but they're scared to tell the provider that. So then we'll go back and advocate for the patient. And then it sometimes helps change the uh, treatment plan. Where do you think that disconnect comes? Is that a uh, just a nervousness or like, why are people not willing to I, I think it is, like you that. know, I think it's a nervousness and they, do, they want to be seen that they're 
trying and doing their best, but sometimes even the daily stressors, like this, we call them the social determinants of health. You know, you're, you don't want to let no one that know that you're struggling. You know, it's the pride that I don't want to ask for help. I'm trying to do it on my own. Um, but it's okay to ask for help. So I think that sometimes gets in the way, but then we're letting them know that, hey, it's okay. We're here to help. You know, just if you open up, we, the biggest thing is building a relationship with them because they're not going to be, so a lot of people are not going to just share everything with someone, you know, they may not know, or even if they're a new patient, they're just meeting the provider, they don't know them. So we really get in there, connect with the patients, build a relationship, letting them know they can trust us. You know, we will only share what you want us to share and how can we help you, um, you know, break through these ear- these barriers and issues that you may have, have so that you can improve your health. It's really too bad because you kind of look at it and I don't know. And I mean, it goes back generations and it crosses all demographics, almost this idea of asking for help as a sign of weakness, yeah. which is just really too bad. And I don't know if that's an American thing, if we got to go with our own or it's not help. I'm My buddies are coming over and we're going to do work. I'm not asking for it. It's just, yeah. I don't know. And sometimes it's, you know, people are there to help and they're not even looking for anything. No. And, and sometimes know. they don't know what to ask. We yeah, don't that's know true. what we have to offer because they've, you know, had to do it on their own and don't have support. And a lot of a lot of some of our patients do struggle with social support or don't have anyone there. So to ask someone from the outside, hey, I need help. And you may not even have that within your own family. That's hard. You know, that maybe that's all they know that they done it on their own. So we're really that's why we really get in there. We do an assessment and figure out what the the issues are and then try to put a plan together with the patient to say, okay. Here, what do you think about this? Let's try this. And then put little goals around that. Um, and, and and before just putting this big plan, hey, you need to start exercising, you know, five times a week. What well, can we start with once a week? Mm-hmm. So small goals um, and achieve that, then keep working to the major goal. Yeah. And I think that's a lot of it is people think they have to change everything all yeah, at no. once. And you're just going to get mad at it if you try to do Yeah, change that. is hard. Yeah. Change is hard. And you, we, I teach the community health workers you have to start small. And then build. Once they tackle that, we may be at the same small goal for a month, two months. And the good thing with the Diabetes Impact Project, we don't, the the community health worker can work with the patient as long as they want. You know, it's not where we have to just cut them off after three months, six months. It's, it can be a a long-term relationship. So we have patients who started at back in 2017 that are still enrolled and working with their community health worker. Ted, you look like you had to wanted to jump in on that. Did you? Well, so I think the 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 unique part of Dip In is, or Diabetes Impact Project, is also recognizing that it's not just the individual's responsibility. That there's a larger systemic issue going on here. So if you take these neighborhoods, for example, I was just thinking about um, you know the the barriers that are really systemic. So uh, all three of these neighborhoods have challenges around food access. That means having good food available nearby within walking distance uh, to where people live. What's really great is that the DIP-IN program since it's been uh, – since its inception has also focused on policy changes and infrastructure and structural changes. So, for example, uh, in Eskenazi Health was a big part of this, uh, but so was the leadership of Flanner House uh, Indianapolis. But Cleo's Bodega is now a grocery store – in the near Northwest area. So that's now a great place to get food. Um, we're also seeing that uh, the, you know, walkability 
Like, is it somebody's fault if they're if they don't feel safe when they're walking outside? If there's not a great place to walk, um, et cetera. So, one of the efforts that um, has also come about in the near West neighborhood, which is where our West Side Clinic is, kind of in that Hallville area, is there's now the BNO Trail, and since that's been launched. I, I see people on it. I mean, there are people just walking up and down with their families and strolling. And the ability to do that makes it so that walking and exercise actually is enjoyable. It's something that you feel safe doing with your family. So the goal of an initiative like Dip In is ultimately that the where you live should not determine how long you live. And to slowly change the dynamic of the neighborhood to be such that the right choice becomes the easy choice. Um, if you depend on your individual responsibility each time and you've got to, okay, I've got to take the bus to the park so that I can go exercise, you know, like that's, that's just not going to happen. I'm already exhausted. Just right. Yeah. I, it's that. just not going to happen. Yeah. So that's the goal is to make the, the right choice, the easy choice. Tell us a little bit more about the three neighborhoods that are impacted by this. I mean, so these neighborhoods uh, are the near west, the northeast corridor, and the near northwest side. And each one of these neighborhoods has a lot of great community partners. But I'll just mention that in the near west, we've partnered with Hawthorne and Christamore House specifically. Uh, the northeast corridor, we've partnered with the United Northeast CDC. And uh, in the near northwest, we've partnered with Flanner House. Um, all of those organizations have also been an integral part of the Dip In program because they have hosted what we're calling the neighborhood community health workers, which is a different kind of the similar concept of going into the neighborhood, but really it's activating the health as a whole of the neighborhood. So they might be leading neighborhood walks. They might be uh, organizing neighborhood pitch-ins so that people have place to eat, but also great community. Um, so. Those neighborhoods, um, for the most part, uh, are very diverse. Uh, the near west side uh, is a great neighborhood. It's about 30% white, 30% uh, black, and 30% Hispanic. So it's a neighborhood where you can really see the diversity of, of what's going on and what's really special about our city. The other two neighborhoods are predominantly African-American. And that was important at the outset of, of picking those neighborhoods because the prevalence of diabetes in the African-American community was really concerning. And so that's been a primary focus of this effort. Um, so s staying with you, with you, Ted, when I was going back, and I know I, I uh, uh, had a little fun with you about that video from a few years ago, but um, when I was watching that video and it was, what, it was 2018, 2009, pre-COVID, I guess is what, I, what I'm getting at. Um, a lot of the words, as you just mentioned now, where you live shouldn't determine how you live. A lot of those words then kind of came over to Eskenazi Health for what became the social determinants of health, health division. Is it inaccurate for me to ask if DIP Indiana was almost like a little bit of a precursor to what became uh, the SDOH program? Because all the people I saw in that video are now here doing social determinants of health of Eskenazi. So how did... How did one did one breed into the other, or how how did that happen? I I might not even be asking a reasonable question right now. But no, that's, just that's what a great question because it is. Uh, Dipin is both a precursor and an inspiration. Mm -hmm. uh, we learned a lot from it. I think the idea that um, over time you can make systemic changes as well as 
contribute individually, as, as Alicia was pointing out. You know, the community health workers are day-to-day affecting people's lives. At the same time, they're engaged with a larger systemic effort to change the neighborhood for the better. And I think that approach is translated into our health equity zone approach. Yeah, because when I was looking, I was like, there, there it is. There, there is SDOH or social determinants of health before it was here. And I was like, okay, okay. it was like one of those puzzle pieces clicking in my head of here's, you know, here, here's how it all works. Um, since, since Dipin is focused on, uh, uh, diabetes impact, diabetes prevention, um, uh, what are some of the risk factors uh, of diabetes that people need to be aware of? So if your doctor has ever told you that you have, you're pre-diabetic, you're at risk for developing type two diabetes. Also family history. So if you got a your parents, a sibling who has a history of, of type 2 diabetes, you're at risk for getting it. If you're overweight or not being physically active more than three times a week, you're at risk for getting uh, diabetes. Also, as we pointed out, race. So it is a uh, high prevalence in our African-American community, also Hispanic and Latino, um, and um, American Indian or Alaska Native have higher risk of um type 2 diabetes, as well as if you're 45 years or older. So there's a lot of risk factors. Um, but, you know, if you're watching what you're eating, um, you know, the sugar is the thing. Eating that in moderation, um, that can help. Uh, also, being physically active more than three times a week, that decreases your risk as well. Um, those things, you know, trying to keep proactive at the doctor saying, hey, you're pre-diabetic, you know, the time is now to start working on those things that they're telling you to improve so that you do not develop um, diabetes. That's the crazy thing about sugar is like you look at the ingredient list and it might say sugar and then there's five other things that are okay. sugar, you yeah. know. It's Carbohydrates, <laughs> if it's high, you know, car, it, I mean, if you see something saying 30, 45 grams mm-hmm. of carbohydrates, that's high. Yeah, you know, so definitely watch the the stuff that tastes really, really good. <laughs> it's probably not good for you. Yeah. So if it's really sweet and it's really good, it has a lot of sugar. I I, I want to ask a follow up on something that you just mentioned about being physically active three times a week. So, what constitutes being physically active? Because if I come to work and I'm walking around, moving all over the place. Yeah, that, I mean, that I works. mean, so like, what, what, what is physically that, active? That is physically active. You know, if it's one thing, if you're just if you're coming to work and you're just sitting the whole time. Mm-hmm. So I would say, get up, start moving, take the steps if you can. Take the steps. That's physical activity. Um, you know, going for a slight walk. Sometimes I do when I go to the store. I park my car a little further to get my steps in for the day. Um, you know, if you got kids, being active and playing with them, that's physical activity. Other than just sitting all the time, is keep the thing is keep moving. Um, it doesn't have to be that you're doing this vigorous exercise workout routine at the gym. Um, like we have these walkable spaces now, going out and walking at a park, whether it's you know ten minutes, fifteen minutes. It's just trying to be active each day. Um, and then when the when the program was reopened, I, I think you mentioned some of this at the very beginning, but when it was reupped in 2021. Was there anything extra added to the program, or was it just a, hey, here's more money, keep it going, or how, how was it, it going then? Okay. So it was more keep it going, keep doing what you're doing. Um, you know, we didn't necessarily – right now, I can say, though, we were only targeting um, – 
patients with a certain zip code, like if they went to Blackburn, Westside, or Forest Manor, those are our health centers within those neighborhoods, they had specific zip codes we were looking at. So now we have extended to any patient who is uncontrolled that goes to those health centers. So we are now expanding our population of patients uh, with diabetes. They don't necessarily have to live in those zip codes, but if they actually live in, say, 46229 and they're coming all the way over to West Side as their provider, we can see them. We gotcha. will enroll them into our program. Um, so it does not have to be restricted by zip code. So we are seeing that it's valuable. Um, we even this this grant, the Diabetes Impact Project, also help us um, get more funding to be able to see any patient with our CDC grant. So it, this was a precursor to getting more CHWs, a CHW in, in each of our health centers to work with any patient, um, you know, whether they don't have a chronic illness or they're just, you know, they're healthy, but they have social issues, social determinants of health issues, we can see them. So once we get the new uh, Eskenazi Health uh, East 38th Street opened up, how is that going to play into all it? Because what is coming, I, I, I say this, I don't think we're fully prepared for what is being built over there. It's so big, but how is that going to be used? So our community health workers, because Forest Manor is one of the sites that's transitioning into that facility, they will have two community, two diabetes impact project community health workers that will serve that community. Um, we are ready, North Arlington, which is also going into that uh, health center. We have patients who live in our neighborhood zip codes that we see over at North Arlington. So we're still going to serve the community and be able to um, see them. But we also have now that we have more funding um, through our CDC program, if they don't have diabetes, we still have a community health worker that another community health worker that can work with them. So there's going to be three community health workers that will be working in that area as well as a community weaver. I think also, uh, the the fact that Dipin allowed us to dip our toes pun no intended, pun intended, or pun um, intended. <laughs> into the waters of both community um, kind of community health with neighborhoods and partners there, but also with community health workers has also maybe a lesson learned and maybe an evolution is it's not just about diabetes or rather you can't just focus on diabetes because it's really the combination of factors. So it's it's food. But it's also transportation, it's housing, it's uh, economic opportunity. All of those play into whether or not somebody ends up uh, being uh, affected by diabetes or other conditions. And I would think if you focus on diabetes, you're too late to the game because that's that's the end. You're trying to prevent it. Yeah, you're trying to stop you from getting there. Um, so uh, anyone who's interested in getting more information about the the dip in program, uh, where can they go to find this uh, to follow along or find more information for it? One, if you're going to one of our health centers, you can always ask your clinical team, hey, I heard that you guys have community health workers. Um, if they have diabetes, our clinical teams know who to send it to. Um, so that is our main thing is if you're connected to the, the health center, your health center can get you connected to one of us, um, whether it's our diabetes impact community health worker or just a community health worker who's just working with um, any of our patients. So that is our main, um, our, our sites, our re- we will reach out to patients uh, as well, but our our providers, our nurses, our medical assistants, our dietitians, they refer patients to us. Is diabetes curable or is it one the thing of once you have it, you're now in management for the rest of you your life? You can turn to, no, you can, if you improve your okay. A1C, 
frequency is what we look at, which is your blood glucose uh, level, and we look at that over a, a three-month period. If you exercise, you diet, you can turn the corner. If you, you can get control, we want them to be controlled where they don't need medication. They're controlling it by just eating healthy, by um increasing their physical activity so you can turn it around it doesn't have to be that this is what i am and i'm on medicine we have we have patients who we have worked with that actually have come off their medicine because they're doing so well fantastic so yeah and um back to what kind of something that was said earlier about um you know when you're in the doctor's office, we need you to exercise a couple more uh, times a week. I come back to, we, recently we finished doing these videos for the Social Determinants of Health, and I encourage anyone to go and watch them at our YouTube page because I think they turn great and I'm biased to them. But uh, Dr. Callahan was on there talking about, okay, we need you to walk three times a week. The sidewalks aren't safe, you know? So like, you gotta, you gotta figure out what, what is found to get people out there. And I think it's important, especially in these neighborhoods that, it's more than just I'm late or not. That's bad to say. It's more than I'm, but it's more than just we need you to walk. It's it's dark and I can't see anything and I don't know what's going to come down the street. Like what am I? What do I do now? You know. So and that's where our community weavers and the health workers work together. So once we figure out what the barrier is. Then that's where we help the patient put together a plan. So if they feel like it's not safe, well, we will offer other suggestions. Well, hey, how about you go here? They may not even know that there is a park up the street. There's a lot of people that live in the area neighborhood for years and don't even know of some of the resources that are within that neighborhood. So that is where we'll come in and say, hey, yeah, they said we're uh, exercise three times uh, a week. What does that look like for you? And if they can't come up with a solution, then we'll start looking and looking what's in the area and then offer some alternatives. But we also want the patient to be engaged with that because they have to want to commit to it, you know, and we'll set small goals. So if we're saying exercise three times a week, we're going to start, hey, let's start with, can you go here once a week? If we meet that for the next two weeks, then we're going to, let's, can we do twice a week? And even if we fall back and we're only doing once a week, okay, well, what's the barrier to that? Mm-hmm. And let's keep working to meet that ultimate goal of three times a week. Are there any uh, established goals or benchmarks that we're looking to get to by the end of this latest grant round? Well, the the biggest thing, we want to see a decrease in A1C for mm-hmm. the patients we're working with um, compared to our comparison groups, those who are not working with the community health worker. I can say one of the biggest things, too, is we do look at hospital admissions and ED visits. And for the population that we um, served, we it was when we first initially enrolled some of our patients, it was at 31.1%. We have already decreased it down to 25.4%. Awesome. So keeping them out, because again, something, you know, if we can, we don't want anyone to ever have to be admitted or hospital, because that means you got complications or something's going on where it's controlled. We want our patients controlled out of the hospital, well, being able to enjoy time with their families, not being sick. Um, so that it was a huge accomplishment. That I just received that one. So keeping them out, uh, again, it saves money, saves, again, you know, potentially saving a life mm-hmm. because you, you, diabetes is has a lot of complications that are, are really harmful, and um, we don't ever want to really get to that point. We want them to be managed. Uh, so it's working. Yeah. Ted, do you have something you want to? Well, I was just thinking about the beginning of the DIP-IN program and reflecting on that. And I know that Marion County Public Health Department participated pretty heavily in providing some of the data 
And in some ways, what happened is we we diagnosed a neighborhood with diabetes. And sa- same way that you can diagnose a person, mm-hmm. we diagnosed the neighborhood and said, oh, these are three neighborhoods that, quite frankly, have could, diabetes. Have yeah. diabetes. Uh, they they could lend themselves towards creating the conditions for diabetes. And so one of the big outcomes of Dip In over time is the advocacy of the neighborhood residents, the advocacy of those neighborhood organizations that I mentioned before to really change the neighborhood dynamic. And one thing that I'll just say has been really inspirational for me, I live uh, in one of these neighborhoods. So I see the changes happening over time. And I've lived in one of these neighborhoods for 18 years. The um, the park uh, that's called Riverside Park, mm-hmm. you know, that park and that neighborhood, um, key part of this uh, initiative, it's called the Near Northwest Area or Riverside Area. And um, just recently, uh, after many years of advocacy and a lot of different, uh, uh, you know, initiatives, but we just uh, have broken ground on the Riverside Promenade. And this is a a promenade that circles through all of Riverside. And I drive home uh, every day and I see now people walking and running on that promenade. Like it's just amazing. And they, they had sidewalks before. But the promenade makes it so that this is where I'm supposed to be exercising, enjoying. It's wonderful. Sometimes walking on the sidewalks is scary, not just with uneven sidewalks. You get people's dogs are yeah. come running out, or someone just kind of staring you down as you're walking. <laughs> it's just it's like it's like I just I'm just walking, just please, yeah. I just want to yeah. walk. Yeah. Um, is there anything that we have not touched on that we want to make sure that we cover before we wrap this up? I just I just think that um, we are in a great position to not only affect individuals, but also the systemic issues around these chronic conditions. Um, A a recent um, article and report in the Washington Post just came out that really underscores that the majority of the life expectancy gap is coming from these chronic conditions that we're not solving, diabetes being a key one. And these are health conditions that we can actually address we can completely, um, if not cure, prevent. Mm-hmm. So I think the the lesson learned here is that we really we have the opportunity here to to really change our health dynamic. Appreciate you both. She's uh, Alicia Jessup. He's Ted Grain. Uh, thank you very much for taking the time to come in and talk to us. Thank you, of course, Joe, Julianne, uh, and everyone who's involved with the Eskenazi Health Here For You podcast. You can find more information at EskenaziHealth.edu. You can find our podcast, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud. I heard Spotify. Yes, we're on Spotify now. We're taking over the world, Ted, and this was your idea. <laughs> and we are we, we, we are up to it. We're, we're ready to go. Um, uh, and then, of course, follow us on social media, all the, all the big socials. Uh, and we'll talk to you next time on the Eskenazi Health Here For You podcast.